0: Now, invariably, there will questions will arise about, well, why don't you put your scriptures up on the... Mm -mm -mm. I want you opening your Bibles, and I want you following along with your Bibles, and know that I am reading you the truth. Not only that, it helps you find the scriptures in your own Bible, which is a blessing. But we're in Genesis chapter 1, we're in verse 27 through 31 we'll be talking about God-blessing man. In verse 26, though, of the first chapter, we overhear a conversation within the Godhead. God is talking to the Father, or to Jesus, and the Spirit. I don't know which one is voicing their opinion here. But they say, let us make man... In our image. With this statement of truth, with this statement of creation, man is immediately elevated above all other life forms because we and we alone are made in the image of God. No animal regardless of its beauty or its strength is created in the likeness of god god is a spirit he created man with a body soul and spirit now god does not have a body he is spirit we're told that but our god the father the son and the holy spirit created us a similar being for us to have fellowship with Him. The body, we understand. We have a physical body with a limited lifespan. But our body is not the real you or me. And we have a soul. Our moral being designed for everlasting life. Our soul, in our souls, we possess our personality. It dictates our behavior. It causes our emotions to ebb and to flow. Our soul does not decay when our body dies and passes on. Our soul is not subject to decay. Upon death, our soul is freed. And we either go to be with our Lord eternally, or our soul is appointed to everlasting destruction or damnation. But regardless, our soul is that eternal part of our being. Now our spirit is similar to the soul and often used interchangeably with uh, soul and spirit but our spirit in its simplistic description is that part of man which is also eternal and it's designed for worship and communion with our creator our god so let's read verse 26 and then we'll get into the rest of the chapter verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth man created by God in his image and in his likeness created by God for God now in case you miss the message of verse 26 it will be repeated in verse 27. And when the Word of God repeats itself, it's like saying, hey, listen up. I really meant what I said, so I'm going to say it again. So let's read verses 27 through 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields itself, it shall be your food." Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God God saw that everything he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and morning were the sixth day. The writer of Genesis here, which is Moses, finds it necessary By the inspiration and will of God to repeat verse 26, and he does so in verse 27. And in verse 27, we have God declaring again the creation of man. God zones in on man, bypassing the creation of animals, birds, cattle, and creeping things. I'm fighting a sneeze right now. I'm having to pause. You ever get one of those? You can feel it coming on. I've got to look for Kleenex. (laughs) We'll keep that handy. Maybe it's past. All right. Um, But God has created man and He's created male and He's created female. God created male and females, and the differences between us is good. Thus we have males attracted to females and vice versa. This attraction, this, call it sex drive, for the opposite sex is God-given and God-produced. God made us this way. And it's a very strong attraction. Attractions so strong that our Earth has 7 billion people walking around on it. I think one of the sad commentaries today is the confusion that is there of sexual identity. And uh, Here at Calvary, we dress casual, and and I'm all for that. I'm glad I don't have to wear a tie each and every Sunday. But let's just use clothing for an example. I'm old. You can see that. (laughs) And I have seen the mores of our society of what is acceptable in clothing, and they have changed. The males and the females now, they dress in what we call similar clothing or unisex clothing. Male and female wearing the same type of pants and tops. Recently, Lori and I were in California having lunch with my daughter and her family. And we're at one of those sidewalk cafes in a shopping mall. A man walks by. He had tight little britches on. You know what britches are? He had, and they had slender little delicate ankles. Bad enough, right? I can't help but notice this guy. But he was also wearing bright red little ballet shoes. My comment was, if he is not gay, he should be. My sarcasm, all right? That, that was for my family. I don't like to say those things. But, you know, that was my take on this guy. Call me old-fashioned, but I still like ladies to look like a lady when they get dressed up, and I still want a man to wear Levi's and perhaps Carhartt pants. You know what I mean? Carhartt's acceptable. To me, the clothing designers with their unisex look do a great disservice to our society. I want a man to be a man, and I want him to look like a man. And this is personal preference. And I want a woman to look like a woman. Sort of got on a soapbox there. But uh, back to God's Word here. Well, not quite yet. In the Islamic world, (laughs) cross-dressing can cost you your life. Now I'm back to the word. Okay. Verse 28. Then God blessed man. What a great statement. I do everything I can to prosper and to be blessed. I enjoy God's blessings. I work hard I try to invest money wisely all to simply live a blessed life but in all my efforts sometimes I forget God's blessing is my greatest benefit as a believer each and every Sunday you who attend here you know I pronounce a blessing at the end of the sermon at the end of the uh, teaching and I, I give you a blessing from Scripture. Now, I could say other things to you. I could say, okay, go out there, my Christian friends, work hard, be diligent, be wise uh, in your spending, always look for the deal, and use coupons. I could say stuff like that. But how much better to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. Now all of us experience times when everything seems to go wrong. What can go wrong does go wrong. We've had some plumbing problems out on our beautiful little farm. We had a hot water line break under the house. And before I can even get that fixed and repaired, we have a major leak spring from the water line that runs from the street to the house. So I've got two separate water problems, plumbing problems, and these breakages are occurring at the same time or within hours of each other. I say something like, okay, God, what's going on here, you know? (laughs) And very shortly, my prayer changes from What's going on To God help me. Bless me and bless Lori's old house and help me get these leaks fixed. <laughs> and we have examples of men wanting God's blessing in Scripture. Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night by the brook Jabbok. And what does Jacob wrestle the Lord for? His blessing. He's wanting the Lord to bless him. Jacob, he goes through a hip dislocation. He goes through a name change. All part of God's blessing upon Jacob. And when we look at Jacob's life, when you study his life, Jacob is pursuing God's blessing all of his life. First, it's with Esau, his brother, and how he... Finagles around and gets the blessing from their father Isaac and then it's in his business deals with Laban his father-in-law and how they're always going back and forth trying to be one up on the other Jacob is always looking for that blessing and then he wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night for a blessing And what we need to realize is we're already blessed, particularly if you're already a believer. As a believer, we're allowed to flourish, to thrive in the Lord's blessings. We're to never forget our great heritage that's given to us by Jesus, particularly when He went to the cross. What a blessing! As Christians we enjoy the privilege and it is a privilege of a right standing a right relationship with our God. That is a great blessing. We are allowed to have a clean conscience before God. Do you know how many people walk around with guilty consciences? We don't have to have that. We're allowed To have our sins forgiven, all we have to do is repent and ask the Lord to forgive us. To have a clean conscience is a tremendous blessing. So we see, when we were created, Jesus blessed us. And then we see Jesus blessing us when He goes to the cross on our behalf. It's. God's plan and design to bless us. We are the top of His creation. He loves us. Consider for a moment some of the blessings that God has given you. For men, our wives still love us. (laughs) Lori and I celebrated 27 years this week. That is a good woman. (laughs) God's blessing keeps us out of bars. It also keeps us out of sad country songs. (laughs) You ever listen to those things? Anyway. God's blessing gives us purpose for life. God's blessings... Allow us to serve Him. And right after God blesses man, God gives man a command. He says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, the birds, and other animals. Let's talk about that dominion a little bit. Fish farming is one of the ways of subduing fish. Fish farming is an enormous business today. I was watching a special on TV and they were showing off the coast of Australia, hundreds of miles out to sea, they have these enormous fish farms. The fishermen there, they created these huge nets and within these nets are millions of little tuna fish. And they, they're out there in the ocean, and they feed them, and they're growing, and they're in these nets. But they're hundreds of miles offshore. <clears throat> and with great effort, they begin to tow these huge nets towards shore where they can harvest them. And during this journey, during this uh, big tow to shore, They have deep-sea divers who dive around these enormous nets, and their job is to fight off the sharks from getting in the net. How do you sign up for that job? No! (laughs) I'll let them sharks have all they want. But anyway. And we have man taking advantage of sea life and producing millions of fish out at sea right there in God's creation. Around here, maybe you've been out and drove around the countryside, we have what we call large chicken houses. I have one friend who raises 175,000 chickens every two months. One farmer. And if you multiply that out, it's over a million chickens a year that he raises for food. Now, a chicken has a very limited lifespan. At forty-nine days is the exact proper time to kill that chicken and for the market. If you go over that forty-nine days, you will eat up your profit. They will eat up the profit in them. And so every two months this they will raise in these chicken houses. Each chicken house contains about twenty to twenty-five thousand chickens, by the way. And they take dominion over these little chickens and raise them. And then we have cattlemen, like myself, who supply the market with beef. Now, to be a, a cattleman, you have to have more than one cow. I have four. <laughs> so I'm a cattleman. Don's a cattleman. <laughs> and. In the animal kingdom, you have a a strong urge, a strong phenomenon known as an animal going into heat. And they go into heat for a purpose, and that is to reproduce. Only us, only mankind enjoy the pleasures of sex apart from reproduction purposes. Only man does. God Himself made human sex pleasurable. He made it as a bonding between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. And this God-given sexual attraction of a man to a woman, well, Hollywood has got a hold of it and it has become the most sensationalized, perverted behavior of fallen man on this earth. Sexual perversion. Hollywood has a slogan, sex sells. And so so we have movies and we have beer commercials. And what does a bikini-clad woman have to do with selling beer? Nothing, but they always have them there. (laughs) Young women promoting a product, showing their bodies. And there are millions upon millions in our society who live for one purpose only, and that is sexual pleasure. You know it, and I know it. Not using the God-intended pleasure of sex as a bonding between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. They have perverted it. Mankind has obeyed God by taking dominion over the animals. But the command to be fruitful and multiply, Hollywood and others have managed to completely misrepresent God on what sex should be. It is to be between a husband and a wife. It is to be a bonding, a pleasurable thing husbands wives do not allow hollywood to rob you of a god-given beautiful pleasure in your marriage perhaps you've noticed the emphasis that is placed upon sexual pleasure in the sex act by hollywood and by tv where the very sex act is glorified regardless of the relationship between partners even glorified among a man being with a man or a woman being with a woman and that my friend is perversion and we will look at more at this in chapter 2 but let me get to verse 29 and 30 God gives man food from the herbs and from the trees and from the plants not only for man but also for the animal kingdom god gave food to all living creatures in the form of plant life except brussels sprouts and green peppers <laughs> there are some exceptions and it appears that man and animal were vegetarians until after the fall up until the flood of Noah now let me say this what you eat and what you drink does not make you holy or unholy righteous or unrighteous before God and we will not get caught up into eating habits be it vegetarian or be it carnivore we're not going to go there but let me read you a passage out of Romans chapter 14. It kind of sums this up. Romans 14, 1 through 3. Now, in the future, I might put that back there, but not today. Romans 14:1 to 3. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him not, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. In other words, don't make your diet a big deal. Paul, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says our choice of diet, our preference of food, is not one that should be disputed among the brethren. And we have some vegetarians here, and they don't push it on you. <laughs> they shouldn't. Just like, well, I'm in the cattle business, so I got to push red meat. Sorry, no. <laughs> and that's good. Diet is a preference, uh, a personal preference, and it should never be anything greater. There's no benefit in what you eat, but how you bless or ask the Lord to bless what you eat is really the criteria. We're not to dispute over food choices. However, let me talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Everybody's familiar with that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record the same event of feeding the 5,000, and they all use the exact same words. They say He looked up to heaven and blessed the fish and blessed the loaves. And they say it just like it. All three Gospels. The very loaves and the very fishes that Jesus has just multiplied and He has just created them, Jesus blesses them. You might have thought, this is one meal that nobody needed to pray over because Jesus has just created it. He just made it. He just multiplied it. Yet, our Lord blesses it. We find Jesus looking up to heaven and giving thanks to God and blessing the loaves and the fishes. Considered for a moment, you and I happen to be at the mercy of food producers. Food producers in and around the world. Some of these producers, they're clean, they're hygienic. Others are not so clean. And thus we have outbreaks of salmonella poisoning or E. coli. And we have contaminated food being recalled off the market shelves. And, and every now and then it hits the evening news. If you have bought this, this, and this, bring it back, you know. And that made me think. A while back, I st- started thanking God for my food, but I also added "Bless it." Not just be thankful for the food I'm about to receive, but I want the Lord to bless that food. I try to always be thankful for receiving uh, God's provision that way. And this blessing of food is a new thing for me. I want God to bless what I'm about to eat. I think when you ask God to bless your food, you might be avoiding an upset stomach. You might be even avoiding food poisoning. Therefore, take a moment. Perhaps even look up to heaven and ask God to bless your meal. You're simply showing gratitude to your Lord for His provisions. Simply saying, thank you. And don't each of us teach our children to say thank you? And we need to do so to our Lord also. Just being a little bit courteous to our Lord Who blesses us and provides for us? I have found that simply saying grace, bowing your head for a moment before you indulge in a meal, it's a great witness to those around you. It's a great witness to your children that you're showing that God is the ultimate provider. It's a great witness to your friends that you are a Christian, you believe in thanking God. And asking God to bless the food. And that's something I want in my life. I want to publicly be found thanking God for providing for my food. Because God has been faithful to provide. Therefore, I want to be faithful to simply tell God, thank you. And Lord, please bless this meal. Simple thing, isn't it? And yet, so many times, even with believers, we jump right into a meal without even pausing to give God thanks. If you lived in a country where food was not plentiful, you would give God thanks. You ever think about that? Two-thirds of the world, I don't know where they come up with these statistics, goes to bed at night at least a little hungry. Two-thirds. We happen to be in that third that doesn't go to bed hungry. How much more should we give thanks to God for our food, for our providing us a meal? So, implement it. Make it a part of your daily routine, just giving thanks for the food you receive bless God and ask him to bless your food. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are blessed of you. You blessed us when you created us. You blessed us with salvation. And you blessed us as being a good provider for us. I would venture to say, Lord, that No one in this room really has ever went to bed hungry because they couldn't find food. We live a blessed life that way. So we thank you for providing. We thank you for your blessings upon us. So Lord, we pray, continue to bless us. Continue to uh, let us find favor in your sight in that way, Lord. We ask You to bless those who grow our crops, who supply our food to us, Lord. What a blessing it is just to be um, blessed of You in the way of food, Lord. So we give You thanks. Just one of those areas that we need to just be grateful. We give You thanks for our daily food, for our daily bread, Lord. So thank You again for loving us and taking care of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.